As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, Drancer, man, we got some ground to cover since we last uh, recorded earlier in the week. Last time we got together, it was after that loss in Calgary where things slipped away in a dreadful second period and got away from the Vancouver Canucks. History has repeated itself here uh, far too soon, quite frankly, after what we witnessed at Rogers Arena on Thursday night. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, this this is why we don't record after the first game of back-to-backs. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, a listener <laughs> tuning into our podcast on a Friday, and it's like... That was a big win! Like, man, could you imagine how good the arena would have sounded for a full house for that game? Like, can you imagine how the arena would have sounded last night? Like, it would have been ugly. And that was ugly. Like, that was a absolute throttling. You know, there's so many things to unpack, but I want to start here. I want to start with when Jacob Markstrom recorded a shutout against the Canucks in his very first game, it felt inevitable. Right? Like, it felt Canucksy. Yep. But I wouldn't have called Tyler Toffoli to have five goals after two <laughs> games against the Canucks. Like, I, that that is... I, I probably should have, right? Like, it's not enough to have the most Canucks possible outcome happen. Like, now, now it's, like, going a little far. It's like, no, man, this is... A, like, you, you can stop. <laughs> this, is, this is too much. People won't believe this. You know what I mean? Like, if... If I'd, you know, if, if someone had written a story like this or, or sort of predicted this ahead of time, people would have said, you're nuts. Like, it's not even believable. But to Foley, every t- everything he touches, back of the Canucks net, it's wild. And, and, it, and it's to the point where when he, when he finally gets stopped by Demko on that point blank chance in a 7-3 game in the third period, uh, you know, you, you can hear him from above the 300 section. Fuck! Yeah, <laughs> he was so mad. He wanted that second hat trick so badly. I, you know, this is a guy who wasn't content to just beat his former club. Like he, he wanted to rip their heart out. Um, I think that speaks volumes about an awful lot of things, uh, including this Canucks off season. But more than anything, it just underscores and underlines like why the start to this campaign has been so massively frustrating for this Canucks team so far. Toffoli came to town without a goal, and he's going to leave town with the NHL 
lead in that department. Uh, I mean, he's tied there now with with Horvat. They're the only guys in the league with five goals, and they've got another game to go here on Saturday. And look, you spent the summer in the bubble, and you spent the summer writing about the sounds of the game, not just to Foley screaming "fuck" when he had that chance. And I saw some people. You know, they thought the Habs, it was poor form. You're putting this guy out there looking, basically just fishing for a hat-trick in a runaway. Come on, like, that was the story. I had no problem with with that at all. And I think the Habs were pretty pissed off about why they were on the power play late in that game after the Tyler Myers hit. But when Toffoli scored his second of the game and his fifth of this set, and that was when he picked off the, or Armia picked off the PD pass and and sent Toffoli in, and I talk about a clear-cut breakaway basically from his own blue line, like, that bench was lapping up the storylines. Like, they couldn't get enough, like, the, the hooting and hollering from the Habs bench. Like, these guys recognized all that's at play here. It's not just a guy going off. It's a guy that played for his former team had had the hat trick the night before. Like, those guys on the Montreal bench were having the time of their life. And in an empty building, you know, now I see what you lived all summer. Like, you, you just, you hear absolutely everything. And uh, it's actually, it's kind of uh, part of the charm of... Uh, you know, it's so different. Again, I'm still processing all that's going on in these empty buildings, but that is sort of the beauty of this environment is just what you hear. And you did a nice job of documenting that in the summer. I'm just getting a chance, sort of my first crack at it here. So uh, that was something that I absolutely noticed uh, when Toffoli uh, scored yeah. shorthanded to make it 3-2. to two. They turned down the arena sounds for game two. They did. I, yes, I wonder did. if the players didn't like it. Um, we'll have to ask. Well, I want to ask at Morningscape because... Game one couldn't hear a thing. Game two could hear an awful lot. Um, you know, the the Habs bench reaction to the Myers hit on Armia. Um, you know, a variety of different things throughout the game. And then obviously that Tafoli reaction was just so big and, and so jarring considering the circumstances of the game. But but I, I you know what? Uh, anyone criticizing Tafoli for that is off their rocker. Like you, you get to make a statement against sure. your former club. Like you get to do that. As far as I'm concerned, and man, has fully made this statement this week. This has been incredible, like incredible and incredibly disappointing for the Canucks, right? Like this is, you know, that win against Montreal on Wednesday, they needed it. Like that was absolutely crucial. We're now 11% of the way through the season. Like I know people are like, man, this doesn't even look like NHL hockey or or what have you, like, this is not preseason. These games count. We're 11% of the way through the year. Like, we're at, we're at the nine-game mark in an 82-game season. By the nine-game mark, if you're struggling to this extent, it's a story. People are talking about it. It says something about where you're at as a team. And Travis Green admitted post-game that he's concerned. You, you asked, are you concerned? He said, yeah, I'm concerned. We have to play better. And he should be. Like, he should be, right? Like, there's a lot going wrong. For the Canucks right now, there's an awful lot more going wrong than right. Like this, the underlying logic of what makes this Canucks team dangerous is as follows. An elite top end of their lineup. So far, that hasn't shown up for them, right? Like Pedersen hasn't been at the level that he usually is. Um, I don't know why. I'm I'm honestly mystified by it. We've almost never seen a player as good as Pedersen has been in his first two NHL seasons and in the playoffs, um, you know, struggle to this extent in their third season. Like if you look at, like I looked this up last night over the last 25 years, since 1995, the first lockout, there are 13 players who've been 0.9 points per game or better in their first two NHL seasons. And it's a who's who 
of the best performers the last 25 years. Like, Pedersen's on the list, but so is Matthews, McDavid, Crosby, Malkin, Forsberg, Paul Correa, Danny Heatley, right? Like, the only guy on the list who's not a superstar is Paul Stasny. And he's going to play a 1,000 games and have 800 points in his NHL career, right? Like, we know from this that Pedersen is a not just a player of, of significance now, but probably of historic significance for this generation of the NHL. Um, there's just not a lot happening there, and that's sort of undermined one thing. Then, then there's the elite goaltending. The Canucks had elite goaltending last season. Like, I don't, until this week, until the two Montreal games, I don't think they'd had a bad performance from their goaltender, uh, but they probably have now had two, right? Like, they, they now have had two. No, none of the goals that were allowed were, like, bad goals still. We're still not at a point where the goaltending has been the reason the Canucks have lost a single game yet, but it also hasn't been the reason they won, and that was so often the case last season. This team looks an awful lot different, you know, like <laughs> like like turning the lights on at 2 a.m. at the bar, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. ooh, yeah. Uh, that's 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 this team without elite goaltending, right? Uh, that's what we're seeing right now. All every flaw exposed. I'm with you. Um, and then, like, you know, just on the goaltending front, like, yeah, you give up seven, you need some saves in there. The night before, it's five, you need some saves. But we haven't reached that point in time where there's been that absolutely crippling, backbreaking goal that you know fans are screaming at their television set, like, no. Oh, you know, and, and that'll happen over the course of the season, too, that, you know, they've got a couple of those buzzer beaters that have been terribly untimely, but I'm not sure either of those were bad goals on the on the part of the goaltender. So I, I'm with you. Like, that's part of the scary part in all of this is the goaltending has been fine. Like, it's been OK. And but we said, like, what is OK going to goaltending going to look like behind this defense and six games in? I think we're getting a pretty good answer. 28 goals against Tom in the first six games. That's incredible. I know. I know. And, and you know, some of the worst team defensive metrics in the league. And then, and then to top it all off, their special teams haven't been remarkably special. Like, now the power play looks like it's cooking with some, with some oil in terms of the offensive production, but they're giving up shorties. They're not even, they're not even using it to outscore their opponents, right? Even when it's been clicking. Um... You know, if the if the special teams are ordinary, if the goaltending is ordinary, if the Canucks' top six is ordinary, and all of that has been true to this point, this is not a team that has enough to get it done. And and yet, you know, when I think about it, in, in a world where one of your biggest issues is Elias Pettersson, uh, that tends not to be an issue at all, right? Like, Pettersson's going to figure this out. I think we have seen enough from him to kind of know that, but... He set the bar so high, right? Like the bar is set so high because of what he's accomplished, right? Year year one, I mean, he was more electricity than man, right? Year two, uh, you know, how's he going to cope? Sophomore jinx, teams are going to be keying in on him. And he responded by being a more physical, more mature uh, play driver that sort of was able to match his production despite being, you know, bodied at the blue line, like his own blue line on every possible rush right like no one let him get ahead of steam on the rush in year two he still found a way Uh, and then the playoffs same thing right like swinging games at the net front right like this guy has adjusted thought through worked it out Uh, he's a supercomputer in terms of the way he thinks the game and processes it he's always figured it out um that's that's where sort of his standard is where we where we've been evaluating him based on right like we've been evaluating him based on 
Like this guy might be of historic significance in this league. And, you know, right now, like here, here's the stat that concerns me the most, J-Pat. Pedersen has zero giveaways at five on five. Uh, that sounds good, right? But really, to me, after 80 minutes, roughly, of five on five ice time, to not have a giveaway, to me, that's an indication that he just hasn't had the pot. Yeah. And that that matches what I'm seeing. It's just too quiet, uh, especially with the losses that this Canucks team had during the season, especially with where they're at, uh, down to their ninth or tenth defenseman probably this weekend. Um you know, you need, you need uh, that top line to be absolutely lethal, dangerous, building momentum every shift uh, or thereabouts. And it's just not happening for them right now. Uh, it's really tough to watch. And you could sense that the coach is bothered by it all. And yet, you know, he has a role to play in this too. Like the discipline has just been ridiculous for this group, yes. save for Wednesday night. And I thought Wednesday was a step in the right direction and maybe they had corrected that issue and the night later, Montreal gets nine power plays, and there were a bunch that overlapped. It wasn't like they had 18 minutes of power play time, but still, just repeated trips to the penalty box. It's been, Canucks are the league leaders in minor penalties, uh, you know. And you talk about it: like average star power, average special teams, average goaltending, and and then the coach the other night. I know we've sort of done this week in zooms, but for Travis to suggest that the media is having to go find things to talk about. Yeah, sorry, I didn't like that. Sorry, like they're all being presented in front of our eyes on a nightly basis. This isn't a lot of work on our part right now to find things to talk about. <laughs> no, well, and and also, I mean, it, the response was to a question about whether the lotto line had made prog- progress on Wednesday night, right? Because uh, I mean, I liked parts of their game, but it didn't seem like they were the their usual finely tuned, well oiled machine in terms of you know just a lot of pucks and skates, like a, a lot of plays that just weren't a lot of possessions that were kind of squandered in in ways that weren't a year ago. And, you know, Green responds with, um, you know, the media is looking for things to talk about with our top line. And it's like, look, if the media is looking for things to talk about, we can relitigate to Foley, right? We can really like, there's a million storylines from this game, but what matters 30 games from now, right? Like what's the actual big picture thing that matters about this team and, and for me, again, based on the logic that I just laid out, it's how your top line is performing. Like, that's the one thing I thought we could count on about this team going into the season. Like, at the very least, they're going to have a lethal top line, right? Like, that was sort of the thing I, I knew. I thought I knew about this team. Hasn't shown up yet. And for me, like, that's the big picture thing. That's not the thing we need to strain to look at and manufacture a story. Like, that's the thing that clearly matters. Long-term, long horizon for this club. Um, yeah, I didn't like that. I, I, I will I will say that. I didn't like that. And uh, and then the very next availability, the media doesn't talk enough about Tyler Mott. Like, ah, come on. Tyler Mott's not <laughs> unsung here. You know what I mean? Like, he was incredible on Wednesday. And we, and we talked about it. Like, I talked about it on 1040 yep. and my morning hit on Thursday. Um, we talked about it because it was amazing. Like, he had a no-look wrist shot goal on the rush. Um, he was on the ice for 10 shots for and one shot against. Uh, we've been talking about how well the fourth line has played, you know, uh, like regularly, right? Regularly, we've talked about the Canucks' depth has not been their issue yet. Uh, we've said that, at, at least up front. And yeah, I mean, I just, you know what, I, I didn't like that. I, I'll, I'll say I'll say that for sure. I don't think the media is like manufacturing stories out of nowhere. There's a lot of stories on this. About, there's a lot of evident stories about this team. 
And, you know, I, I think you're right. The discipline is uh, at the very, very top of the list. Like just that lack of tactical news. Uh, what, what was described by multiple people around the team, Schmidt, Horvat, and Green last night as, you know, immaturity or something like it. Right. Um, you know, it's evident. It's, it's there for everyone to see. It's, I don't even think it's debatable. And the club definitely needs to figure sort some things out, and they have to do it with very little practice time. Um, and they have to do it quickly because the season is running by fast. Like, you have this one more game against the Habs, and then you have to capitalize off the Senators coming to town. Like, those, these next four games are going to be really high leverage, and the Canucks are going to be shorthanded along the blue line for them. Um, but they have to get they have to get a lot of like they probably need three three wins in the next four, and and that's just to keep pace and not to keep pace with Montreal and Toronto, but to keep pace with Winnipeg and Edmonton. And so you know the pressure's already on. Like it's early, but it could get late in a hurry in a shortened season. Uh, we're eleven percent of the way through the campaign already. We're two we- we're like nine days into the season, and and eleven percent in they- like. This is going to come fast and furious. Like it, it feels too early to be looking at the standings, and yet I did this morning. Calgary, yeah. Calgary hasn't played since they swept the Canucks over the weekend. The Canucks have played twice as many games as Calgary. The Flames are ahead of the Canucks in the standings, and Calgary already has three games in hand on the Canucks. So, you know, we have to wait till the games played sort of all get closer together to really take stock of, of where they are in this. But already they, they've played more games than everybody around them and they're looking up at just about everybody and, and, you know, wait till Ottawa comes through. Like, you know, Calgary served them their lunch. That's Calgary. Calgary's got Markstrom and they've got designs on being better than they were. You know, here's this Montreal team that spent oodles of money in the offseason. Uh, the money on Toffoli is looking like it's pretty well spent right now. You know, the Habs think that they're an upgrade. Everybody shit on the Ottawa Senators. All, like, what if the Sens come to town, though, and run the Canucks show? Then what? Yeah, I mean... I think the Sens are going to have trouble with the Canucks because they have a plotting blue line. Um, I think we saw that Montreal, they can give Montreal problems on Wednesday because of their plotting blue line. The the, the Senators have those issues tenfold, tenfold more. So, um, so, you know, the Canucks should should beat that team. But the Senators are, look, they're a professional outfit, right? Like, this is not, this is not your um, 2018 Ottawa Senators. Like, this is a Senators team that's a true pain in the ass. They're a pain in the neck. Uh, they will give you a tough time. They are um, going to work hard. They're going to play physically and they are going to be disciplined and well-oiled. Like that's, that's, you know what? They're, they're kind of like the, the Canucks teams of the early green era. Like if you're off, you will be exposed. And yeah, I mean, those are going to be crucial games for the club, like absolutely essential for them to, to come out with it. And, and again, we need to recalibrate our thinking. Like we've talked about how hard it's going to be to understand the proration impact, like the shortened season impact. Yeah. But the way to think of it is, you know, on tomorrow's the 23rd. Saturday is the 23rd of uh, January. We will be only 10 days into the season. Some teams will have only played three games. But for the Canucks, they will be the equivalent of a month, of the first month of the campaign. Like the way to think of it is when the moment they play Ottawa, it's like November, the their game on November 3rd, right? Like a month into the season and a month into a campaign. I mean, people typically speak like they know a fair bit about the team, right? Like yeah. I usually wait till my, the 30 game mark till, till sort of, we get to a thousand minutes at, at five on five before I start sort of pronouncing what I think about real team quality. But 
I mean, a month into the season, people feel like they have a pretty good sense of, of what teams are, right? Well, the Canucks are going to be there. They're going to be there on Saturday night. And that sort of just, again, underscores how weird this season is, but also how quickly um, we're getting, you know, to the thick of things. Yeah, you are right. And it's going to take some adjustment. But if you don't adjust quickly, whether you're a fan or a player, uh, it could get too late in a hurry as well. And and so there are warning signs. There's no doubt. Like for me, the second period in Calgary on Monday, it's going to happen. The first period in Calgary was incredible. And just the, yeah. the stark contrast from period to period was incredible. But how one-sided that second period was raised some red flags because the Canucks just couldn't do anything to get the puck to uh, sort of regain any kind of momentum. And ultimately, the game got away from them. And for it to happen again three nights later and probably be worse, like they get outscored 4 nothing, they get outshot 18-3, to they don't have an even-strength shot in that second period. Like, is it going to happen every second game? Like, it, it, are we watching a trend unfold here? Uh, I don't know. Like that that second period was just troubling on a lot of levels. When you looked at the back check on the Josh Anderson goal, like Suzuki has the initial chance. Anderson's the second guy in on that rush. That puck loops yeah. way up in the air. Time sort of stands still, and there's still nobody around Josh Anderson. And there's a great still photo. Bruff tweeted the photo of two Canucks in the slot just completely gliding on the back check. Like, and maybe it's the end of a shift, like, whatever. But I just thought a picture was worth a thousand words there in that moment that that kind of summed up everything. That the Habs get two cracks at an opportunity like that, and there's no Canuck to be found. Uh, guys are just, you know, half absent on the back check already, six games into the season? Like, come on. Yeah. No, I, I mean, the team defense... Needs to be an awful lot better, J. Pat. Like an awful lot better. Um, I, I mean, it's it, it's not to put too fine a point on it, but the like the Canucks defense. I still believe this. I still believe that the Canucks defense is better overall. But at five on five so far, right? They are surrendering expected goals at the highest rate among all 31 NHL teams. They're surrendering actual goals at the third highest rate among NHL teams. Like only Chicago and Pittsburgh are faring worse in that category so far. Um, by shots against, 36.28 per 60. That's the second worst mark in the league. Um, worst mark in the league by shot attempt differential. Worst mark in the league uh, by unblocked shot attempt differential. Like, that's that's bad. That's bad. Like that's again six games. You know we're we're only talking about you know we're not talking about a huge sample of minutes yet. We're only talking about a few hundred minutes as opposed to multiple thousands, which I typically like. Like we're talking about two hundred fifty minutes, but you, you don't want to be last or next to last in every single defensive category five on five. Like that's. That's not good. That's no, really not no, good. Like no, that's, it's not. That's, that's 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 not that's not a warning sign. That's like your engine on fire. That's not like a brake light. Like that's that's literal smoke and flames coming from the hood of your car. And you know, I, I mean, I just don't know. Like I don't know. I don't even know what options you really have. You're down to your ninth or tenth defender. Um, 
like maybe, I mean, we saw Bo Horvat play with Besser and Miller. I think the Canucks probably have to do something pretty radical up front to try and get things going. But, you know, you, you don't have a lot, you don't have a lot of time for patience anymore, right? Like you, you can maybe go another game. We'll figure it out. We'll wait and see, but there's not a lot of time. There's not a lot of time to get things moving in a, in a radically different direction. Um, and, and it honestly, it starts with defense, but it starts with defense. But at the end of the day, I, I just think this team goes as far as their top players take them as their, as their lotto, as the lotto line runs. So goes this team. Um, if that doesn't get fixed, you know, even if they start surrendering fewer chances, uh, they're kind of going to be hooped. Yeah. Uh, look, yes, they were missing two veteran defensemen. They had the 12 forwards that they selected out of camp uh, in their lineup last night. Like, that is the best, the healthiest the forward group is going to be. And now, offense hasn't really been the issue here. It is all defense. But you had 12 uh, NHL guys, and defense isn't just the six guys that play that position. It's a team game. It's all interconnected. And, yeah, you're missing two veteran guys, but you also had four of your opening night defensemen in your lineup as well. So injuries happen. Uh, we've been told that this is a deeper team, that they believe in the young players. It sucks for Chatfield because I thought he had a really nice NHL debut on yeah, Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, he goes out. Uh, Rafferty, it was a bit of a struggle. He looked a little spooked by the stage, quite frankly. I, I thought his first shift was tough, and it kind of got away from him there. And, you know, in those moments, you need more from your veteran guys. And it was a forgettable night all around for Tyler Myers. And I, I want to finish up uh, this segment with a thought on Myers because uh, we talked about discipline. Uh, we saw it in the bubble last year. He was uh, a one-man trip to the penalty box. Three minors, all for interference. And that was the undercard for him on the night. It sounds like he's going to get away unscathed for the hit on Joel Armia. And quite frankly, I'm shocked because I've watched it a number of times. To me, I, it's reckless. It was needless. It was a garbage time hit. Um you know, the league's trying to get that kind of stuff out of the game. We talked about uh, player safety. I don't think Joel Armina felt particularly safe. Now his head was down. So uh, I will say that about it. But I just, uh, I didn't like that hit. And I don't, Tyler Myers is not a predatory player. He's not. I mean, there are a lot of no. people that, people that he's got to be more physical. And like, I hear that and I see that too. But man, I didn't like that hit in that moment. Yeah, I mean, I just thought it was, I thought it was, I, I agree with you. Like, I don't think there's, I don't think there's uh I don't think Tyler Myers is it's I don't think it's a malicious hit I just think it's a reckless hit and and I think it's pretty clear that the head was the principal point of contact so I I'm with you I I'm I'll be surprised if there's no discipline especially considering that the Habs have already announced that Armia has a concussion so um look the Canucks are going to need Myers in the lineup the, it's a break for the club uh, but hopefully Armia is okay and and yeah I mean for me, anyway, that hit is a no-brainer. Um, you know, warrants uh, additional uh, discipline, frankly. Uh, but yeah, no. And, and look, every time Myers is taking that taking penalties yesterday, and some of them were soft, like the trip on Jake Evans was a clear sell job. But the, you know, Nate Schmidt's playing a two-minute penalty killing shift. You know, and then and then he'll struggle in another phase of the game. And it's like, man, guys played 54 minutes <laughs> in, the last, yeah. in the last 27 hours. Yeah. You know, like I can't be too harsh on him. Like, yeah, he was on the ice for four goals against last night. Um, but I can't be too harsh on a guy who's doing regular full penalty kills without leaving the ice. Like, 
Well, I mean, uh, we have to adjust our expectations of a player doing that in terms of, you know, turnovers, minor mistakes, right? Like, <laughs> I'm going to give a guy a different type of rope when they're playing two-minute shifts on a regular basis shorthanded. Like, brutal. Brutal. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of focus on defensive depth, and there should be. There should be, like, we know, because Jim said so, that Green was lobbying hard for the club to bring in Hamannick, right? Um, you can see why now, like, proof of concept this early. But, you know, you can't really prepare to be on your ninth or 10th defenseman this early in the season. Like, that is a cataclysm, right? Like, that is beyond reasonable expectations or what we can reasonably expect a club to prepare for. And yet, you know, I mean, how how big would a body like Oscar Fantenberg be right now? Right? Like, if you had Oscar Fantenberg at a 900k deal, like, wouldn't that be a massive deal right now? You know? It, it, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bash uh, their their defensive depth too much, because I, I do think that this has risen to a level uh, beyond what, what can be anticipated, but I do think we're already starting to see the seams, like, and this is what's gonna happen when you cut, you know, 18... To 20 million in player salaries from your roster, like it's hard to improve, period. Uh, really hard to improve. Honestly, it's really hard to stay still. But if you're going to cut that amount from your roster and then get hit by injuries and, and circumstances like the Canucks are going have so far, like, yeah, the seams are going to show. They are showing. And, you know, that buckle up because it's going to be really interesting to watch how this club navigates them, especially with continued uncertainty about you know, Chatfield, Edler, and Ben's status for Saturday's game. All right. Amidst the doom and gloom of the situation for the hockey club, there's always the high-stakes bet that you and I have going. We'll check in on that later here on this episode of the VanCast. Going to get to Max Lapierre, though, and looking forward to catching up with Lappy uh, after his uh, playing days. He announced his retirement last month. He's going to join us here in a sec. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With a break in the schedule for the Canucks and the Canadians, we thought the timing would be perfect to bring Max Lapierre onto the VanCast, recently retired from 15 years in professional hockey, 10 in the NHL, five more over in Europe, and of course, he played for both the Canucks and the Habs. So we are delighted to have Max here on the VanCast today. Max, thanks so much for doing this. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for inviting me. How's retirement going? <laughs> well, I've been eating pretty badly. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> it's been a it's been a tough a tough start to the retirement diet, that's for sure. But uh, it's just fun, just spending time at home. Obviously, we're there's not much to do now with the the COVID thing, and uh, but it's it's just good to relax, just uh, start some new projects, and uh, enjoy life a little bit. Well, hey, bad eating habits, you will fit in perfectly then uh, here on the VanCast because uh, we're experts <laughs> at that. <laughs> Just tell me, like any professional athlete, how did you know this was the time to call it a career? 
Well, you know what? I was debating in my in my head all summer. Uh, should I play another year or where I'm at in my career? And then the the pandemic and all that. It was getting complicated a little bit. And uh, I think it's just a mix of a few things. Um, like I just said, like the situation this year, uh, the minors injuries that were annoying me a little bit for a few years, and then the family, the schools for the the girls and all that. So I just decided it was time. I had uh, some nice projects back home with the podcast, uh, doing really well. So I just felt like the timing was perfect for me to to just move on and uh, start something new. Yeah, so this is the podcast for soft bodies and bad hockey takes. Max, so you're probably not quite <laughs> there yet, but we'll uh, we'll work on it. And then tell us more about the podcast project and and the and the work that you're doing getting into the media side. You've always been a great talker. You were a great talker on the ice. Um, how are you enjoying doing it off of it? Oh, it's great. I mean, uh, started that with my uh, uh, ex teammate Guillaume Latendresse back home, who's a great friend, and uh, we're doing it once a week live on YouTube, and then the the next day it's on Spotify. But we. We started that podcast uh, where we have guests from uh, uh, every sports. We have celebrities from Quebec. Obviously, it's a French podcast. Uh, we had the chance to have uh, Marty Brodeur, Marty St. Louis, JSP, uh, uh, Michel Therrien, like a bunch of coaches. We actually had last week uh, Kevin Owens from WWE. So we had about 100 100 guests so far and it's uh it's going well we started our own beer now we have the gin uh, bar- <laughs> barbecue sauce so yeah i'm, I'm definitely busy uh, and uh, as you can see all those ingredients are perfect in in my diet <laughs> <laughs> nice well <laughs> so you've got you've got a podcast co-host who had excellent hands for a big man um oh, yes. <laughs> and so uh, max You've been watching this uh, Canucks Hab series, and, and you've been seeing Tyler Toffoli um, do what he's done to to the Canucks. You you you've played for a variety of teams in your NHL career. Uh, what does it mean from a player's perspective when when you get a chance to play your former team and and have a performance like like Toffoli's had versus Vancouver the last two games? Yeah, it must be a great feeling. I mean, I think every, everybody knows that Tyler is a is a gamer, right? He always been performing really well in the playoffs. Uh, he's there when the game matters a lot, and that for him it was probably a big challenge to to have to face your your old team, and you know you have to to, to perform and prove them that hey, uh, I was still a very, very good player and all that. So uh, great performance. I mean, big goals. Uh, it was it was just great games to watch. Honestly, it was uh, great hockey. The the first game, I'm not sure the coaches liked the, the two games, <laughs> but uh, for sure it was fun for the fans. And I think the Habs have a great team. I'm I think the I think the Canucks have a good team. They just have a tough start right now. But I'm still uh, it's, it's for sure in my head that they're gonna make the playoffs. I think they they have a great coach. They have great structure. They, they they have great young guys and when they put it together and they they get the their rhythm back i think the canucks are going to be a team to watch we saw playoff hockey in the bubble last summer and now uh, they're not in the bubble but all these rinks that are empty i mean y- you played in front of full rinks throughout your playing days how bizarre is it for you to sort of 
uh, reconcile this idea of what these guys are having to go through right now. I mean, it's great that they're getting to play, but fans are such a big part of, and you were such an emotional guy that probably fed off the fans to have to go and play on a nightly basis with nobody in the buildings. How bizarre is it? Yeah, I think you're you're taking out a big part of the game right there. That's why you're playing, right? Like the, the passion from the fans, the noise in the building. And uh, personally, it would have been tough for me to, to be there with no fans because I, I built my whole game on, on emotion. So I feel like it must be tough for guys like Roussel, for example, in Vancouver, where you your whole life you're trying to put on a show. But now who, who are you putting on the show for? You know, it's uh, obviously for people watching TV and all that, but it's definitely not the same feeling. And it's... Uh, Oh, I, th- I still think the guys are finding a way to, to put on a, a great show, great games, and they, they still play hard. And it's uh, we've seen a few big hits in uh, all the games that I've been watching. And, uh, no, it's, uh, it's a very different year. And uh, you can only think about when everything comes back to normal and the fans are coming back in the buildings, how, how loud it's going to be and how passionate people are going to be uh, uh, to come back. Yeah, it's such a stark contrast. Like when we think of you in Canuck Colors, obviously it was 2011. It was the run to the Stanley Cup final. The city was going nuts. And to get as close as you guys did, ultimately, I know it didn't work out in the end, but we think of Max Lapierre and we think of that goal in Game 5 that, the only goal of Game 5, that put the Canucks right there, knocking at the door of getting their hands on the Cup. Just when you reflect back a decade later now, like how fond are those memories uh, in com- you know comparison to other things that you were able to do in your hockey playing days? Uh, you know what, I'm always going to have a special place for for the Canucks in my heart. I mean, it was uh, it was huge for me getting traded from the Montreal Canadiens that year, going to Anaheim and then ending up in, uh, in a great Canucks team with, uh, with playing in the, the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, I met my wife in Vancouver, uh, built basically my whole family now. So, uh, it was a very special time for me. Uh, I had great teammates. I always say it everywhere when I have interviews in Montreal and all that, that that was the best team team spirit I've ever seen in my career. Uh, guys like Manny Malarotra, Bieksa, uh, the Sedins, Burroughs, Luongo, like all great guys. Mason Raymond. It's uh, I think every guy was a, was a, a gentleman, and it was uh, the, the, probably the three best years of my life. It was uh, it was fun. It was uh, for me. Uh, it, it basically bought me four more years in the NHL from the the opportunity they, they gave me in Vancouver, right, with uh, Alain Vigneault. And uh, if I didn't end up in Vancouver that year, I'm I'm not sure if I would have a contract the next year. So um, yeah, definitely it's a it's a very very special place, and uh, I always have, gonna have good memories from uh, from Vancouver. It was pretty tough uh, watching the two games. Uh, my hometown team playing against the, 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 the Canucks and uh, five more games, I think, to come in the, the next seven games. So that's uh, it's awesome. Max, I, I want to ask you two questions that are sort of related. The, the first is about your playing career and about a, a thing that I don't think is well remembered. But but I'm curious to get your take on it. And, and then I want to come back to the All-Canadian Division. But 11-12. Uh, so everyone in Vancouver, I think, remembers you stepping into that third-line center role during the 2011 playoffs. But it was the next year when you were, you know, mostly the fourth-line center, but you had 10 goals, you fought 10 times. Um, That's a pretty rare benchmark. Like, we don't see a lot of guys get to 10 fights, 10 goals anymore. We we actually haven't in the last 20 years. Uh, What do you remember about that season? Was that, like, a milestone? Was that a marker? Was, Was How did you approach that year, and what was it like contributing 
in those two areas to that level during that 11-12 season. I think I think like you said, like it it, it was uh, it was such a great year and such a great group of guys that I, I just felt like I needed to do something special because everybody around me was doing special. So uh, obviously we had the skills, we had everything necessary to win, and my my role was basically just to bring energy, fight when I when I had to, and score goals when I had to by uh, working hard. And I just. I, you know what? I had so much respect for the leaders in that in that team and my coach, obviously in Alain Vigneault and the coaching staff. That I was ready to do anything for that team. There was no uh, holding back, and it was just just a special year. And obviously the 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 crowd. Uh, I remember in an exhibition game once I fought Theo Peckham after a big hit, and the crowd was yelling my name and all that. Uh, and and it, it felt I felt really special. And obviously I'm like I, I gotta try this again and. Uh, it, it was uh, it was just fun. It, it was uh, it was great, and uh, I can't say uh, enough good stuff about the the city and the the organization. And you know, you're a guy who often you know lived in those gray areas, right? Uh, whether it was as a pastor or a guy dropping the gloves, uh, what would you have thought about this volume, like playing an opponent this many times? Uh, like we're going to see this season. What do you expect we're going to get from these teams? Uh, like, I'm, I mean, you think about in the wake of the Tyler Myers hit on Joel Armia, right? I mean, yeah. what does this matchup look like by the time we get into game seven, eight, nine? Yeah, it's going to be playoff hockey. I mean, I'm expecting that every team's going to play each other uh, once or twice, and then it's going to be right in playoff mode. I mean, if you look at the game last night, it was starting to hit harder than, than the first game, and then uh, you have events like the the hit from Myers. Obviously, you know that next game is going to be is going to be a, <laughs> a a big physical game. And uh, you know what? I love this division, this Canadian division thing. I I personally hope it's going to stay that way because I I think it's going to be great hockey, and we we have the chance in Montreal. The the fans have the chance to to see all those young stars. You know the the Peterson, McDavid, Matthews. Like we see them often, and it's it's just great. I think it's it's really good for hockey and. Uh, uh, we know we have uh, a few guys like in Calgary, Edmonton, uh, Vancouver, even like physical guys that brings bring a lot of energy every game. So you 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 can only expect like let's say the when the Oilers are playing the the Flames for the the fifth time this year, it's going to be amazing. So um, I'm really uh, really happy to have to watch those hockey games right now. And like I said, it's uh, I hope it stays that way. So many different places we could go with the conversation here. I. I'm curious, you left the NHL and you played a season in Moto in Sweden. And when you think of Moto's strong connections to Vancouver with the Sedins and Marcus Nassen, among others, give our listeners, give Vancouver hockey listeners just a sense of what that season was like playing for a franchise that we hear and know so much about, but you've now worn the uniform as well. Yeah, no, it was a. I, I wasn't there very long, but it was a, a special place. Obviously, the the Sedins uh, uh, had a good word for me there, so they they gave me a chance to to play for this great organization. It's just like the the typical like Swedish cold city, uh, small little community. It's it, you know what they love their team there. They have a great setup, great rink, uh, great dressing room. You can see they have a, a long history of winning and all that and. Obviously, the Sedins are are basically like God in the <laughs> over there, and uh, you know, like just the the nice, quiet like life where you go. They they have 
two or three very good restaurants. Everybody knows each other. Uh, yeah, it was fun. I, I honestly enjoyed my experience there. Uh, I had other plans in mind. My, my goal, my ultimate goal when I went to Europe was to find a way to get in Switzerland, spe specifically in Lugano, where uh, is a very beautiful, special place. It's about 45 minutes from Milan. So uh, that was the, the ultimate goal for me. And uh, it worked that, that way. I played three, four months for Modo and then I got the call from Lugano. They, they asked me if I could find a way to, to basically get out of my contract and go in Switzerland. And I, obviously it was a tough decision because I, I had a good, good thing going over there, but uh, uh, I just, uh, just went to Switzerland. And then uh, after Switzerland, you finish up with last season in Berlin. What was life like in the German Elite League? Oh, that was you know what that was great. The 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 LA Kings basically are owning the team where it was uh, in Berlin. So you can imagine we have a NHL type rink. We had like an unbelievable practice rink. Uh, about twelve to fourteen thousand fans every game. So it was. Uh, Another team with a long history, winning championships. So it's uh, it was just fun, and obviously, like living in Berlin, it's uh, it's something special. You you get to see like uh, all the history and what happened, and uh, get to visit some some special places. And we 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 had a good setup going there. Obviously, it was a little tough to to learn the language, but uh, uh, we did well. We we the family really enjoyed that that city. Great Turkish food, too. Uh, that's what I remember yes. about Berlin. Great Turkish oh, yeah. food and uh, clubs that don't open till 4 a.m. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Max, with with where you are at now and looking back, like we, we just got to ask you, like with all of the protocols now in place, like you can't even go have a, a drink or anything in in someone's hotel room on, on the road. Um, how, how do you think you would have adjusted to that? How would the 10-11 Canucks have handled, like, how would the Sedin Twins have handled not having coffee uh, with their Swedish teammates after games, do you think? I don't know. Uh, you know what? Obviously, the guys are lucky. They, they're living a great life. Uh, they have great salaries and all that. But I think when it comes to the, the, the fun that it is to play hockey and have a beer with the boys, like you said, and go for a coffee, it must be really tough this year. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the situation in Washington. Uh, you know what? They were just basically playing cards. Uh, the, the, the usual usual routine for a hockey player at night. And uh, uh, no, the, this is why you play the game, right? Obviously, it's skating, scoring goals, being in front of fans. But it's if you're every player talking after they retired, it's always about the, the fun they had with a teammate and the vibe in the dressing room and going for lunch, dinner and traveling and now it seems like it's basically uh, uh, you just have that that feeling when you're on the ice with the with the guys and uh, it must be a tough year but uh, hopefully it's uh, it's gonna end soon uh, that would be nice for I think for everybody everyone in the world and uh, uh, I think they're just gonna have to to stay patient because uh, for right now the, this is what they have to do and uh, uh, I don't I don't see any other options and, and coming back to the Twins, you know, it was the Canucks' 50th anniversary season last year. And so uh, I think a lot of people went back to some of the players who played with the Twins and, and talked to them. And, and I think one thing that came sort of out of that exercise that I hadn't realized anyway was just how competitive Henrik and Daniel were with one another. Um, how central that maybe was to, to what the team ended up adopting as an identity. Uh, did you ever see... Just that hyper-competitiveness, did it surprise you when you first joined the club? And, and do you remember anything particular about it? 
Yeah, uh, when I came in Vancouver, I was honestly thinking that they, they were just skill guys. Uh, and the reason they had success is just because they were that good. But then I realized, wow, these guys are working very hard. And I, I, I remember one year, I think it was the, the lockout year, um, I left Montreal uh, to go train with them and uh, with a few guys in Vancouver. And I always thought I was the hardest work, worker in history. And then I started working out with them. And after a week, I was like, woo, <laughs> I think I'd rather go back home in Montreal because it was way, way, yeah. way easier. <laughs> These guys are like, it, it made no sense. It was just long runs, training, ice, go to the gym and come back in the afternoon. I, I, I could not keep up with that pace. They were just, <laughs> that's why they're special players, right? They, they've done so, so, so much great things in Vancouver, so many great things. And, uh, but for me, the, the main thing about the, the twins was their, they're such good guys. They always care about their teammates. Uh, I remember the way they would talk to us in my, let's say, my line, the fourth line. Uh, they, they were just treating us like we were superstars and always made us feel like we had a major impact on the game when we all know that you play 10 minutes, you have two hits. It's it's fun, but it's not that, that big of a deal in a in a big win. But uh, they made us feel like, hey, like thanks for for what you did tonight. That was awesome. And I was I, honestly every time I was shocked. I was like, wow, they just scored three goals. They have five points each, and they come and tell me, wow, what a game, Max. Because I I took four faceoffs. So like that, that was uh, that was unreal <laughs> to me. Well, this has been terrific, and the timing was great with the Habs in town here. As we finish up, for a Montreal guy to be drafted by the Montreal Canadiens. How much of a dream come true was that? And what kind of pressure does a Montreal kid feel when he throws on the Habs jersey and steps on to the ice? Uh, it's just unbelievable. I still remember going to first game, watching my parents in the stands and my friends, family. Uh, it, it's an amazing feeling. I mean, you really feel connected to the fans because you, you feel like you know everyone. You go, to, you go to the grocery store, they talk to you like you're their best friend. They know that you understand what it means to to wear the jersey. Uh, a lot of players feel the extra pressure. I never felt that way. I felt like people were behind me, trying to help me, trying to uh, to be happy for me. And uh, I think that was the best way for a guy like me to start a career, which is uh, was all based on emotions. And uh, I always loved being a fan favorite here. It gave me the, the extra energy to to go on the ice and do what I had to do. And um, sometime I'm, I'm thinking about what would my career be if I didn't start here and uh, it, it would have probably uh, been a little different probably I'd probably would have to fight a little more for a spot in the in the lineup uh, in other teams and all that because I I've built a, a serious uh, I was confident you know after playing here I felt like I, I belong in this league and uh, the major reason for that was the the fans they made me feel like a, uh, I belong here well, hey, congrats on a remarkable professional career. And if this appearance on our podcast, any indication, uh, you're off to a pretty good start in your next career. And not that uh, we had any doubts about that. As Tom said, you were always a great talker uh, to deal with uh, in your playing days and on the ice as well. And uh, just uh, great to catch up with you. Really a, a lot of fun. So thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, still talking, guys. That's uh, I guess that's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And uh, thanks, thanks for having me. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Well, that is exactly what we had hoped, Tom, uh, when you suggested let's get Max Lapierre on. The timing was great. Habs in town and uh, what a ton of fun. Uh, he was a beauty to watch and to cover. And uh, I think he's going to be just fine here in his post-playing days. Oh, yeah. Well, especially if he's already got the junk food down. I mean, <laughs> you, you, once, once, you have, once you have the bad eating um, and, and, I mean, the hockey takes and the talking hockey, uh, that's, you know, he, he's born into that. That's not going to be a concern with Max. So, uh, he's well on his way, and uh, look forward to seeing it. Because I mean, he's got a really interesting perspective in in a lot of different ways, right? He's done a lot of different things, and and clearly just loves the game. Uh, you know, I mean, I thought it was interesting. He's like, I really wanted to play for a specific Swiss team. Right? Like yeah. that's that's a guy who, first of all, first of all, knows that knows that playing hockey at a high level can get you into good places. But but two, you know, you you got to really love the game to be scheming like that. Um, just awesome. Tremendous perspective. Yeah, I, I think we're doing this pod thing all wrong, though. Did he say he's got a beer and a gin and a barbecue <laughs> sauce? <laughs> well, we're gonna have to have. Um, we're, we, I, I wonder if we need to like eat our don't, steak. Don't eat don't our steak there. with Max Lapierre's barbecue sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it under the steak bet. I don't know. I don't really eat my steak with barbecue sauce, though. So. Look, I'm, I'm glad that the stake bet seems to be taking on a life of its own. It's been hilarious every time Horvat scores. Now people are coming <laughs> at us, the the videos and the pictures, and, and that's great. Like, that's the fun we wanted to have with this thing. Uh, am I nervous? Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit. I mean, Horvat leads the NHL. What do you mean I should be? You should be. But Horvat, Horvat's pushing for 30. My goodness. No, I know, but... but Okay, yeah, I have your laugh now. Uh, have you seen? The, there's this pandemic that is gripping the world. Not that I'm wishing that. Oh <laughs> my that goodness! Doesn't... Wow! What? Wow! No! <laughs> dark. This is taking I'm a saying, dark turn. <laughs> the, no, I'm just saying there's uncertainty around every corner right course, now. You just course. you never know. Uh, also, let me just say this in my own defense here. Uh, again, just to reset the the bet, you have Horvat with 23. I have him at 17. That's the biggest discrepancy in any of the individuals. Uh, in our bet. But the way the scoring works, the meter doesn't start running until the 21st goal, right? Like if Horvath finishes with 20 goals, I have 17, you got 23, we're both three off. Sure. So I have a little buffer here. You do. But so I'm not. But man, does he look <laughs> good, right? Like, you know, the, the Habs, the, here's the thing too. The Habs last night were collapsing. Like go, go look at their winger. Go look at their power PK winger and how he was covering the bumper spot. And it doesn't even matter. Like, JT Miller's going to find him. And he's not going to make a mistake. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be a lethal, lethal shot. Now, now here's the other here's the other factor to watch, though. If Pedersen's one-timer isn't going to demand the respect that it has, like, that Horvat option is an option because it's a pressure release option, right? 
if that's the Canucks' main weapon, um, it's going to be a little bit easier to take it away. So we'll, we'll sort of see here. I'm, I'm not I'm not feeling great about it, especially because I do think like part of the logic of me thinking he was going for 23 this year was based on the idea that the lotto line was going to pick up where they left off, right, and, and get the tough matchups, and Horvat would be used as more like a normal second-line center. Um, the way that the first six games are shaping up, yeah, Horvat's done a lot of damage, but I think that five-on-five logic is not going to play out the way I'd anticipated. So that, that that's a quiver. That's a quiver for your – or an arrow for your quiver, something something to at least help you get to bed when you're looking at Horvat's, you know, <laughs> on-pace totals and being like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, well, okay, so Horvat's kind of going to be the poster boy of this bet, but really, when I look, it's the – nipping around the fringes, I thought I was conservative, and yet – you went under me on Tanner Pearson. You went lower than I did on Gaudette. You went lower than I did with Hoaglander, with Roussel. That's where I'm starting to get worried because, right. man, it's been it's been ridiculously quiet for, like, where would the Canucks be without Bo Horvat's production? I mean, they're two and four, so yeah. it's not like they go whole lot. But, but, like, Bo has been that good. It's kind of masked some of the issues, I think, a little lower in the lineup when it comes to scoring. And, again, it's early in the season. We'll see where things go. But uh, great start for Bo Horvat. Uh, for his teammates and the team as a whole, not so much. Hey, I just want to finish up with this. I have to cop to this because we've got such great listeners and VIPs and the interaction on social is a ton of fun. And there's a guy by the name of Graham who has, we've exchanged, both you and I have had yeah. Twitter exchanges with him. And I don't know where it came from the other day, but on a pod way back when, you were on a road trip through the Okanagan and you professed your love for cranberry jam. Yes. Right? I did. And so... I talked about how long I'd been looking for it for. Yeah, so earlier in the week, this pops up, and Graham comes at me and says, we know that Durant loves cranberry jam. Jeff, are you a a jam guy or a syrup guy? And I really hadn't thought about it an awful lot, because I eat pancakes and waffles in moderation. Um, But I'm a syrup guy. And a blueberry syrup guy, a particularly particular blueberry syrup at that so it turns out that graham's family i think either produces manufactures owns the company whatever so he says he messages me and he says i'm going to send you and drance a care package to which i respond I like i'm wait. excited like wow that's nice I, so you know i'm kind of giddy hey he's sending us something i send him the thumbs down emoji that was my response to this guy going above and beyond. I meant to hit the thumbs up, and I missed fire. Oh, <laughs> and so oh. here's a VIP. Of, I know. So, like, I'm screaming at my phone. Like, there should be a function that you can recall a misfired emoji. But it was out there in the universe. It was too late. So now I'm scrambling, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm hitting the thumb. Like, I'm giving him, like, ten thumbs up. <laughs> it could have been worse. You could have, like, accidentally sent, like, the eggplant one. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know, uh, but I, I just, I felt like such a <laughs> doofus and well, douche. I was gonna, yeah, so I, just, anyways, Graham, I, I apologize for the reaction. He had a laugh at it. <laughs> I think he took, he took it in the spirit that it was, uh, it certainly was not me giving him like the, the, the flipping him the bird. But anyways, it was yeah, just, <laughs> misadventures, misadventures in emojis. It was not one of my prouder moments. Oh, uh, good uh, stuff. Messaging. Yeah. No, <laughs> no I look. I the, got, the, the jam is delicious, man. You're gonna love it. I'm very excited. Okay, well, I uh, apparently the package has arrived. I got notice uh, 
at the radio station. So oh, I'll just swing by and, and damn, pick it up. Yeah, let's go. Exactly. Let's go. Exactly. Thanks, Graham. You're the man. Just want to let people know, Bill Guerin, the GM of the Minnesota Wild, is Mike Russo's guest on this week's edition of Straight from the Source. Uh, another fine podcast available here at the Athletic, and we always tell you. Uh, check out our comments section for each podcast episode. Let, you know, let us know what you thought of Max Lapierre's appearance here on, on this episode or any ideas, guests that you'd love to hear. Uh, we would like to hear from you. So you check out the comments section for every podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for just $3.99 a month. All right, back at it to the conclusion of this three-game set. The Canucks and the Canadians, who knows what Saturday will bring. Uh, we'll be back early next week to uh, continue to break it all down right here on the VanCast. For Drancer, it's J-Pat. Thanks so much uh, for listening uh, to the VanCast here at TheAthletic and TheAthletic.com. <laughs> <laughs>